0: Corporate social responsibility is big on business agendas these days, but so is profitability. Are they both achievable? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The initials ESG. For environmental, social, and governance, describe a hugely broad area of corporate behavior as well as an ethical necessity. But turning them into measurable results seems to be getting tougher all the time. The COVID 19 pandemic has many companies on the ropes, struggling just to survive. At the same time, executives are being required to ensure the humane treatment of workers throughout the supply chain, work toward the goal of net zero emissions and practice good corporate governance. How can they manage all this while staying profitable? On this episode, we delve into the question with John Ferguson, Practice Lead for Globalization, Trade, and Finance with Economist Impact. We'll examine whether companies' commitment to ESG is real or stops at good intentions. And we'll discuss the crucial issue of global standards, or lack of them, for measuring good corporate behavior. How much progress is really being made? Here is my conversation with John Ferguson John Ferguson welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk about the state of ESG environmental and social governance in 2022 in the supply chain. How serious do you believe that companies are right now about getting to net zero emissions in terms of actually having a roadmap for achieving that goal?
1: Yeah, Bob, it's a great question. I honestly think companies are very serious, but the hint was in your question there. It's still an intention. It's still a goal. And as we can all understand, there is a difference between having a goal or having an intention and actually implementing that process. But there's no doubt that it's on everyone's mind. It's on every supply chain manager and procurement manager's mind. And companies are taking those steps and trying to integrate that into their business models. But I do think there's still a long way to go. But the the first step of intention and plans and goals, I think
0: we're, we're there at the moment. Where are they falling short in their efforts right now? What aspect of the supply chain or what aspect of operations really needs the most work?
1: In my view, in my perspective, it's basically operationalizing it and understanding the various aspects of ESG in their supply chain. Now, ESG is a great term. We can think about all those three aspects in that one acronym, but it's actually really complex. And it's really complex to understand where your suppliers are at on things around the E and then separately how they're on around the S and then the G. And what do you prioritise? At Economist Impact, we've run a number of surveys and we talk to clients and and companies about this a lot. And depending on the survey, depending on the sector, you might find that different people are prioritising different parts of that ESG. And also, how do you find out that information? For any particular company, it's a challenge to know where you're at yourselves. In terms of the entire ESG framework. But understanding where your suppliers, maybe first tier, second tier, third tier, is really quite difficult to understand where they're at in the ESG space. And the other point I would make, and I'm, we can unpack this in the conversation, but the other point I'd make is what we're really finding out here is that there's still a really, really serious tension between cost and ESG. That's one of the fundamental tensions that companies and supply chain managers still need to grapple with over the next five or ten years.
0: Well, the outsourcing and offshoring of supply chains was certainly a function of cost and brought to bear ESG issues by its very implementation over yeah. the last couple of decades. So I guess that's an issue. But it also, it's interesting because as you point out such a broad acronym. I mean, getting visibility of your supply chain on the social side to understand ethical practices in the factories and the like. That's one thing. Measuring your emissions and your environmental impact sounds like a completely separate effort. So it's yep. not just one, one thing. Let's start with the sustainability thing. How can companies integrate sustainability into their supply chains given the multi-tier and multi-partner nature of the beast? It's
1: a great question.
0: It starts with information.
1: Honestly, I think in all these things, but we'll just focus on the S, it starts with information. How do you understand, say, the carbon footprint of your supply chain? And that is incredibly complex. I mean, I can imagine the discussions you've had in this podcast previously just about the complexity of the supply chain anyway. Who is your first-tier suppliers? How do they communicate with the second tier and so on? And that's just about your core products and your core business. So now companies are trying to do this to understand, say, the carbon footprint of the entire supply chain. So, for example, we we have some studies that have showed in in the US, for example, over half of the companies have now assessed carbon pricing or how carbon pricing will affect their company and supply chain. But to to understand how carbon pricing would affect your supply chain, you have to understand the carbon emissions in your supply chain. So, again, companies have got good intentions. It's an effort they're starting to make. It all starts with information. To assess how a carbon tax might impact your supply chain, you have to understand your carbon emissions in the supply chain. So I just think there's there's just a big information gap that all supply chain managers are, are grappling with right now.
0: As well as first of all, to understand what it is that emits carbon, and That's how right. to then achieve a standardized means of measuring that carbon across the supply chain and around the world. Are we all agreed on the standards for measurement, or are there different? Ways of doing that that might conflict and might yield different results depending on how they're employed.
1: Absolutely. And to be honest, people managing the supply chain are experts in their own products, right? Tennis yeah. rackets, TVs, telephones, shoes, cars, whatever the product is. That's where people are experts in. But then trying to understand, for particularly, I mean, nowadays, products can be so complex. So complicated as these products go through, who knows, 20, 50 or 100 countries, trying to understand the carbon emissions along that entire chain is really quite difficult. So it it raises a great point in your question. I think companies do need support, whether it's the government support or intergovernmental support across the world. Yeah, we need some sort of standardisation. We need some understanding to help companies go, Okay, well, I use these suppliers. I have these intermediate goods or intermediate inputs in my product. They come from this country and on average in that country these products would emit this much carbon just to have some standardised simplified way of doing that. And the more we can do that, then the supply chain manager will be able to sit back and go, OK, boss, here's our carbon emissions on this particular product and then you can do more complicated work about well, how do you minimise carbon emissions and we may have to start buying carbon permits or paying carbon taxes and so on. But we're getting there, but there's still a long way to go.
0: Especially when you get beyond the borders of your own company, when you get into so-called scope three emissions, that must be especially difficult to measure, to monitor, to manage. I assume companies have a long way to go before they can really get their arms around the scope three issue, correct?
1: Absolutely correct. And again, we've got some studies to sort of back that up. But in this one particular survey, less than half, so around 42% of these companies we were looking at in this piece of research, have set targets to reduce their supply chain-related or scope three carbon emissions. So less than half had set targets. So again, some people are making these steps, but less than half, it starts with information and then setting targets and then finding ways how to operationalise that and implement those strategies. I mean, this stuff is... The intention is really, really positive. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the intentions are really positive Mm -hmm. and encouraging. But just the implementation, the understanding is very, very complicated.
0: Yeah, it's tricky when you say the intentions are positive because we all know the term greenwashing, which means companies on paper commit themselves to environmental standards and then don't really follow through. But you're suggesting that they definitely intention and the hope and, and, and the effort is there and that there may be some progress. It's not just empty words then, right? It's a great question, and maybe I'm a little bit optimistic. I'm sure there is some greenwashing,
1: but also in the financial services sector as well. There's probably some greenwashing that goes on there, not just at the company level, but maybe in the financial services system as well. But I do think over time I'm optimistic that that greenwashing becomes less and less and less. It's starting in Mm -hmm. Europe. I sit in the UK, despite my Australian accent. The EU is moving ahead with some pretty rigorous metrics And even though the US is not down that path or or further along that path at all, I do think these sort of more metrics are really forcing companies to to think about this. And they're going to have to start to report against ESG-related metrics, even if they're slightly different in different markets. So greenwashing is absolutely an issue. I am slightly optimistic over time, though, that as more metrics come on board and their companies are required to report against metrics, the greenwashing will become much, much harder to do down the line.
0: Well, you just hit on a really interesting issue when you say different measures in different markets. I can imagine the companies would face an enormous headache if the requirements for the EU were different from Asia, were different from the US, were different from anywhere else. I mean, how do you even, what do you do in such a case? I guess you just manage for the strictest ones and, and hope the rest of it falls into place?
1: tick box. I mean, yes,
0: that, that would, that's a great
1: suggestion. But it, it's very similar to, say, the digital space and the EU's GDPR. So a big player in the global system like the EU comes out and says, we have these regulations around digital data. And then even if you're not a company dealing with the EU, you start to feel the impact of the EU's GDPR regulations. And I can see something similar happening with ESG metrics coming out of the EU. That even if you don't have direct supply chain through a European country, for example, you're going to start feeling those effects that you will have to start looking at those metrics because they may be, as you suggested in your question, the most rigorous that that in some way they're going to touch you. They're going to affect you. So you're going to need to align, understand those and and start measuring your progress against those metrics. If I'm being slightly optimistic, and I like to be optimistic, I'd like to think that the global community, listening to podcasts like yourselves and having more of these conversations, I'd like to think that metrics align or move closer together over the next three, four, five years, because that would obviously really help global companies. The the regulatory or administrative headache of having to do a different set of metrics for the EU versus the US, versus Latin America, versus Asia It would be a a sort of an administrative nightmare. So I'd like to think that as more and more people have these conversations, you have more conversations, we do more research, that we can move in a direction where this stuff is streamlined and that would really help global companies.
0: I would assume that global multinationals who have been described as being in some cases more powerful than countries themselves in terms of their ability to leap across borders would be lobbying for this approach very strongly, and their voices would be very much heard toward the establishment of standardized measures the world round. Are we seeing that?
1: I don't see it directly, but it's probably safe to assume that's happening. In a lot of respects, it makes sense. I mean, part of my job, which is not the focus of today's conversation, is is global trade. And one of the benefits for global trade over the last 20 or 30 years has been a global, what they call, rules-based order. The fact that we have some global rules around sending products around the world from a trade perspective. Now, ESG is here. We're talking about it. It's not going anywhere, but it's where maybe the global trading rules were at 20 or 30 years ago. We'll obviously need to accelerate a bit faster than global trade in terms of those rules of the WTO and everyone's discussed over the years, but we need something like that. We need to move towards some sort of globally accepted, globally coordinated ESG rules, ESG metrics Mm -hmm. that everyone understands and everyone can sort of play by the same rules.
0: And especially, I mean, it's one thing to talk about the carbon emissions of a fixed factory in a particular country. But what about transportation? What about ocean and air moving between countries, moving across oceans? Who controls them and how do they become part of the mix? And whose
1: responsibility is it? So it might not be directly your company, but it might be the transportation organisation company that you employ? Is the emissions from that transportation your responsibility? Is it directly the transportation company, the logistics company that's supporting you? Is that double counting? How do you separate that? When Again, whose responsibility is it to count these things and therefore report those things and be accountable for those things? So all these sort of boundaries of sustainability type metrics and sustainability measures. These are really, really important questions that we just need to have more discussion around.
0: And then if we move over to the social governance part of it, again, it feels like this is almost a topic for a completely different discussion. I know it's all tied up to corporate responsibility, but when you get to ethical practices in factories, especially in multi-tier supply chains, whereas a subcontractor might be completely invisible to the actual – the end manufacturer or the end retailer – Uh, it's hard to get your finger on it, but where are we on that side of it, on ethical practices and ethical treatments, workers' rights and the like? Are you optimistic about that as well?
1: Yes, but maybe a little bit less. When we talk to companies about motivations, what motivates them in the ESG space, I think there might be different motivations depending on whether it's the E, the S, or the G. When it comes to the S, maybe I'm being slightly cynical here, but I think there's a lot of reputational worry and reputational damage that could occur if global companies don't pay attention to the ethical practices in their supply chain. That may be too cynical. It it could affect their bottom line. But reputational damage or reputational management, I think, is really, really important. And and we live in a digital, globalised world. Thanks to all the digital technology, I can talk to you now and, and have a great discussion about supply chains. But what that means is the information about working conditions in a factory on the other side of the world... People can take photographs. People can do their own documentary. They can put it on Twitter. They can put it at various social media. So companies can't hide, and even if they think it's deep in their supply chain, maybe it's in tier three or tier four,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. it's possible that someone can dig that out. So, again, the pressure on companies is to try and, as, as much as humanly possible, understand those sort of ethical practices deep in their supply chain Because for better or worse, we live in a world where that stuff can easily be surfaced and reputational damage is there.
0: At the risk of upping the cynicism quotient even more, everything you just said to me assumes that the end consumers who buy and use these products care. I mean, is it the fact that a bad reputation will ruin your brand these days? Are we seeing more awareness on the part of consumers or are they still out for the best price on whatever they can get and kind of turning a blind eye? To where their products are coming from
1: it's a fantastic question and it's just one of these great tensions that we have in this new world i've been following and analyzing global trade for, for 20 years say and again when people were setting up supply chains 20 years ago it was just about efficiency how do you move your supply chain to be cost efficient now the the, the choices around foreign direct investment and supply chains are incredibly complex not just about cost, but it's about other issues of the entire ESG space and trying to be more resilient. And these things are really, really complicated. Cynicism, I think, is fair. I do think, though, that as time goes on, people's awareness of ethical issues is only going to grow. Human beings will always want lower prices, always. So I, I don't see that tension going away, but I still see the desire for companies having an ethical supply chain and being strong on, on the S is really, really important. But again, that's a wonderful, perfect tension that this is not straightforward. The solutions that we would be talking about here, spending more on technology, spending more time, employing more staff to understand the entire ESG along your supply chain, that all costs money. And of course, as we all understand, if that costs a company more money, there'll be some flow and effect to the, to the end price in the supermarket or, or the retail store. So but consumers won't like that, as, as you rightly say in your question. So I think this is a tension that will be around for a long time. I just think, though, honestly, in the world we live in, the awareness, the consumer awareness of these issues is only going to grow.
0: We've talked about the role of government and the role of trading blocks that those governments make up. What about the role of nonprofits and NGOs in promoting and advancing this agenda toward ESG? Is it important and are they having an impact?
1: I think it's very important. I mean, I think in a sort of a democratic system that I sit in and we have over there in the US as well, that many voices, more voices are better. But what I would say is we want practical solutions. I work with corporates. We work with companies in our job. And sometimes we also work with NGOs. But I'm an economist. I also understand the motivations of how people choose their foreign direct investment locations and their supply chain locations. Cost matters. And honestly, cost will always matter. It's just the way business works. We're not going to get to a point where it's only ESG that determines where someone locates their supply chain or manages their supply chain. Cost is always going to matter. So it's, it's great to have more voices involved, more voices the merrier. But what we need to get to is, is these tensions. It's not simple. And if people have simple solutions, I would say they have, probably haven't thought about it deeply enough or talked to enough companies about these issues. So it's about how do companies, Under we said 15 minutes ago, understand the ESG along their entire supply chain, be able to measure it, get that information. And then once they have that visibility, how do they operationalise it? How do they minimise their carbon footprint, for example? So we need practical solutions. We need to to understand the tensions of business. And we all have a desire for ESG to be important and to to address climate change, for example. But what we want to get to are the solutions, the practical solutions that help us Allow companies to do what they do best and bring us the products that we've grown accustomed to over the last ten or twenty years, but do it in a sustainable way. That's easy for me to say. There's a lot more discussion that needs to have to happen about making that a reality.
0: Well, on one hand, we've we've seen how the fixation on cost has led companies to be caught out with not enough inventory to support demand, the so-called just-in-time approach. So maybe that mentality might kind of bleed into this as well, thinking above just mere cost. But that leads to this final question, and I know nobody really has a good answer, but I'd like to hear your idea. How can companies shift out of short-term survival mode, and lately literally survival mode, into taking a longer-term view of their operations, where they take all this into account? They take a higher view... They look farther down the road than they can look right now. Is it possible, given the current state of affairs, and how can they do it?
1: This will be, unfortunately, easier for bigger companies in the global supply chain than the smaller companies who, who have some sort of international supply chain. The bigger you are, because I honestly believe the companies that I've spoken to and work with, when you can take, say, a 10-year view of some of these decisions, and I've been talking to clients a lot about a resilient supply chain. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me, having a resilient supply chain, but that means spending money in the short term. But if you're big enough and you can have a longer-term horizon, you you can actually have a five-year or a 10-year plan. Over time, that money will be money well spent. But unfortunately, if you're a smaller company and you're just getting into supply chains and you're you're worried about your market share and you're worried about your own survival, like you just said, I think that that option of looking five or 10 years ahead is, is very, very difficult. But that's what I genuinely believe, that we live in an unfortunately risky world these days. And I don't just mean geopolitics, but climate change, unfortunately, is going to mean more natural disasters. So people who can spend money to make their supply chain more resilient in the short term, I think will, they will see benefits in the long term. But, but that is going to be more advantageous or more possible for, for bigger companies.
0: John Ferguson of Economist Impact. I want to thank you so much for painting a picture of ESG factors in 2022 and beyond, helping us to understand what are the big concerns and giving us maybe a little bit of optimism (laughs) above the cynicism (laughs) as to the progress of companies toward that end. Thank you so much for being with me today.
1: Thank you. My pleasure. Great to talk with you.
0: That was my conversation with John Ferguson of Economist Impact. Talking about the challenge of ensuring ethical supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my think tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter at scbrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.